Hey everyone, welcome back to the High Fidelity Podcast. I am your host, Hai Trung. And for all of you that have shared your feedback, your input, and have just let me know that elements of this podcast have either made you laugh, made you cry, or you found things that have either resonated with you, or you've been pleasantly surprised at things that you just never knew about me if I have known you personally, whether it's been three weeks, three years, or 30 years. It keeps me going, and each and every time I record this, I literally am doing it after a full day of work, attempting to exercise as much as possible and document it just so I can keep accountable and eat a little bit better each week. And the reality is, my doctor told me I still have high cholesterol, and so even though Popeye's is still my favorite food of choice, I'm going to have to slow that train down. So today's episode is called The T-Shirt Company that was and then wasn't Kickstarter edition. And don't worry, I don't have a crowdfunding campaign that I'm going to ask you to contribute or pledge, but I did do it when I was in my early 20s. And I'm going to paint a picture for you before we talk about the t-shirt company as to why this was such a pivotal moment in my early 20s. Just prior to graduating from college, I had spent the last year, year and a half preparing to enter into the Peace Corps. And I thought I wanted to go into the Peace Corps because I had finished a program at UC Berkeley around public policy. And I thought, you know what? The One of the most responsible things I could do is probably become a lawyer. And having experience in the Peace Corps would make me a competitive candidate. So I'm going to do that because I want to help people. And this is a prestigious program. So I'm going to go for it. And so I spent that time, I interviewed, I applied, I did a bunch of research, and I studied Spanish for five years between high school and college, and so Columbia was the place that I was designated to go to. But someone in my life entered back into it, and I was very idealistic and very emotional, and so this person ended up not having a place to live, and they never asked me to house them, but I offered, because I... Like I said, very emotional, very uh, idealistic. I thought I could help even though this person had already lived a lot more life than me. So I brought him in. My roommates were very cool to bring this person into our home. And uh, the guy paid his way, just really brokered an opportunity for him to be uh, in, in the home and with a roof over his head. But turned out that that wasn't the best option for him. So he decided he needed to go back to the Midwest to navigate resources and to connect with people. And I thought, you know what, if I'm willing to go halfway around the world to help people that I don't know for two and a half years, I could defer that. And instead, I'm going to jump on a one-way ticket with this guy immediately after graduating from college. I'm going to help him out because I know what I'm talking about. And I really didn't. But my mom knew very early on she couldn't tell me otherwise. And my brother knew it too. I was very stubborn. And so that's what I did. I sold everything I had all the way down to a single suitcase, sold my very first car to my roommate's sister, uh, sold all of my other earthly belongings, nothing was in storage, and uh, bought that one-way ticket. And then my roommate gave me what was new technology at the time, a flip cam, and I recorded all these tearful goodbye videos with people from all walks of my life where I had seen them recently or not because I felt like I'd be homesick. 
And so very dramatically, immediately after graduating college, I get on a jet plane, I'm, I'm crying, and I'm landing in the Midwest, and I thought I'd be gone for years. And in the land of Prince and Bob Dylan and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, the people that produced Janet Jackson's, uh, some of her most seminal records in the, in the mid and late 90s, I thought, you know, this is going to be a defining moment. And it definitely was, but definitely not for a number of years. To cut a long story short, I end up going broke and gaining about 50 pounds in the course of about three or four months. And I had to Facebook message my brother and come back home because I, I was pretty much homeless at that point. And I had failed. I had connected him with certain opportunities and people and resources, but I certainly didn't achieve my mission. And I came back with my tail between my legs, feeling like a failure, feeling like a fraud, and feeling like a fool. So it was really difficult to actually reconnect or talk to a lot of my peers, my friends, and people who had graduated college and found jobs or moved home or whatever it was. Uh, Mind you, this is 2011, and the Great Recession was only two to three years prior. The economy hadn't really rebounded, and Unfortunately, my experience of trying to find gainful employment is a common story across many folks that graduated into that time, irregardless of wherever you graduated college from. And I actually made my own situation worse by going on this very idealistic mission. And so I've painted the picture for you because the people that actually reached out and gave me my confidence back by believing in me and channeling in those facets of myself that I felt like I had lost when I came back as a failure from the Midwest were two guys that had started a t-shirt company back in college. And during that time, they asked me for my input, but it wasn't really my thing. And so a few years later, I'm feeling like a failure. One of them has just moved back from out of town. And they decide, we want to take this thing on again. Do you want to be a part of it? And I said, yes. And I said, yes, because I wanted so badly to have a win after that huge, gigantic, uh, perceived failure. And so this motley crew of three people eventually expanded to five or six. And we all moved in together to work on this project. I was working in a day job at the time at a mortgage company doing customer service and everyone else had a full-time job as well and we solicited help from all of our friends looking for photographers and videographers and people to help us design people to help us on every manner of things and the person we met on craigslist was some guy because i wanted to do this uh hand-woven cut and sew fabric shirts because I was really on that wave at the time. And this guy happened to know somebody that I had this leadership program with many, many years ago. Nobody knows this guy. I mean, nobody in my network knows this guy. So I thought it's fate. It's kismet. Absolutely. Let's, let's jump on board and bring this guy into the fold. And The reason why we got so excited outside of him knowing this guy was he knew how to loom. And if you don't know what a loom is, it is one of the most ancient uh, time-tested skills since time began. 
and is the ability to weave fabric using this uh, very complicated manual machine. There is not a single engine, microchip, or circuit board to be found in this machine that we bought. And so, because we believed so much, and honestly, people believed in the vision that I had too, uh, we forked over our money from our day job to buy this loom that was no longer in production and didn't even have replacement parts available even if we needed to fix it. Um, and the guy, the Craigslist guy, drove this loom down from San Francisco and dropped it off at our apartment in Fullerton. And if you've never been to Fullerton before, during the daytime, it is pretty mild, pretty easygoing. In the early evening, there used to be a jazz club there. And in the late evening, that's where you go to get turned and a little bit ratchet and to kind of cut loose. So we have five guys squeezed into this two-bedroom apartment. And we're working on this clothing company all night and on the weekends. None of us knew the first thing about how to scale a business. We didn't really make a considerable profit to even think about expanding this thing. We just were passionate and we thought we knew better. And we thought that, you know, we don't need to talk to people that are directly in this space. We'll just talk to people um, and ask them questions. And I'm so grateful for those people because uh, we would have been much, much worse off if had we not talked to anybody. Um, but I think the reality was many of us just didn't feel, and I'll just speak for myself from here on, I certainly didn't feel comfortable saying, I am scared that this thing is going to fail. I don't know how to actually make money off of this stuff. I've just been a consumer and a fan. Um, and everything I've learned has just been self-taught. Is this really going to work? But I decided to do it anyway. And so we recorded a video and the Kickstarter page is still up. It's actually on my uh, on my professional website. I call it one of my proudest failures. But we did an elaborate uh, photo shoot on top of that with the, with the grace and support of people that were willing to model our clothes. Um, I wrote very elaborate details and descriptions for every single piece uh, that we sold or were intending to sell. Um, it was all hands on deck. I mean, people on the team learned how to weave leather accessories. We were sourcing fabrics from thrift stores, trying to part with nonprofits. Um, this local barbecue joint in Fullerton even let us use their spot uh, very graciously. And so we do this big, huge, elaborate launch party. And within the first few days, we raised, uh, I think, a little under 1500 bucks. And what we didn't know at the time was in order for a Kickstarter to really take off, you got to plan that thing months, maybe even a year in advance. You got to know with certainty that you're going to raise a certain amount of money um, so you don't run out and you're not super delayed like you often see with companies that um, just don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And so the craziness of all of this is that the bottom line is that we thought that a single person was going to weave hundreds of yards of fabric for these uh, high-end shirts that nobody has ever heard of, and we didn't know how to market it. And it, uh, it was kind of a crazy idea. But he eventually told us, you know what, I'm going to need to be paid right now and up front. 
because uh, he didn't have reliable income at the moment. It wasn't predictable. And I understand it. I mean, essentially, we were going to be creating a domestic stateside sweatshop with just him because he was the only one that knew how to loom all of this fabric. It was a crazy notion. And we all got very upset and disheartened at the time when he decided that uh, he wasn't going to move forward with us. And funny enough, uh, when we, you know, many, many years later, wanted to get rid of this loom that was just collecting dust in our garage because no one else knew how to use it. Um, It wasn't even being supported by the company that made it anymore. It had been decommissioned. Um, The only person that we could find to buy it back from us, I mean, I'm telling you, I couldn't even give this thing away, uh, was that guy who backed out of that Kickstarter project of ours all those years ago. And so... What I learned from this experience was that I wanted so badly for this t-shirt company to work because I felt like such a failure from the incredulous decision I made from graduating college to failing flat on my face in the middle of the Midwest and coming back home uh, with my tail between my legs um, and then kind of just kind of getting ramped up again and wanting this thing to succeed. And the most interesting thing that came of it is that following this failure, two of those guys, the original guys that started the t-shirt company, would eventually become the co-founders and my business partners for a company that eventually would make money. And we were essentially uh, business married for the next close to three years. And that'll be the topic of our next episode. But anyhow, as always, I'm not here to preach, teach, or beseech. I'm only here to share an anecdote and experience And I am always appreciative for you spending a little bit of time with me to learn and to just hear me out. So thanks again for tuning in to the High Fidelity Podcast. I'm your host, Hai Trung. And if you would like to keep in contact with me, you can always reach me at highfidelitypodcast.com. You can email me or hit me up on all the social media. If you ever feel so compelled to leave a review, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, I have moved on from just my cousin. Thank you so much for leaving a review to one more person. And uh, I'm, I'm beginning to feel like uh, there's an audience out there. And it's only made possible by folks like you. Once again, thank you to my buddy Jai. You can find all of the notes and details to find his music wherever you listen to music. Um, on the notes for each of these episodes and also on the website. Be kind to yourself, and I will see you all next time.